opportunity that we have before us today, Lord. Again, Lord God, we ask you that you speak to our souls and speak to our hearts, Lord, uh, mainly because, Lord God, we are your children, we are the sheep of your pasture, Lord God, and you desire to do a marvelous work within our lives, Lord God. So today, Lord God, we uh, welcome your spirit, Lord God. Uh, we want to be encouraged by you, Lord God, to move in the direction so we may be those who will worship you in spirit and in truth. We love you and we thank you and we ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Today we're going to talk about uh, the Savior and the good news. The Savior and the good news. And there are uh, three important uh, things that I want you to remember about the Savior and the good news today. Number one, know that it was an extraordinarily, uh, extraordinary night uh, because of the Savior and the good news. It was an extraordinary night because of the Savior and the good news. And also know that, number two, there was the proclamation about the Savior and the good news. Number two. And then number three, we should worship because of the Savior and the good news. Number one, it was an extraordinary night because of the Savior and the good news. There was the proclamation about the Savior, our Savior and the good news. And then we should worship because of the Savior and the good news. It was an extraordinary night because of the Savior and the good news. Verse 8 and 9. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Here we see that the spiritual entered the natural realm to fulfill the Lord's agenda. The spiritual realm, as we, at least how we see it, uh, has entered the natural realm to fulfill God's agenda. Here in verse 8, it begins by saying that in the same region, what is that same region? Uh, well, it refers to Bethlehem in Judah. In fact, if you go back to verse 4, it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. Right? So it tells us very clearly that he went to Bethlehem. And we know uh, that the word Bethlehem, it means what? It means house of bread. Bethlehem, right? It means house of bread. If you recall uh, all the way back to the book of Ruth, that in the beginning of the book of Ruth, it says, in the days that the judges judged that uh, there was a famine in the land, and that land was in Judea, in Bethlehem. Uh, that was 
the irony of it all, that at one time, that in Bethlehem, there was no bread. But now, Scripture is telling us, you get this, it says that in the same region, hear what I'm saying, I'm already on my way already, I feel it. Uh, it says, in the same region, uh, out in the field, right? And we know what happened in that field with the shepherds, right? What happened uh, that there was a babe that was born in that day? What's so fascinating about that? Remember what Jesus called himself? Well, he not only called himself, he says, I am the door. Jesus not only called himself as being, uh, I am the good shepherd, but Jesus also called himself what? He says, I am the bread of life. So you have uh, that comparison that at one time that there was no bread in Bethlehem, and now uh, the babe shows up Jesus says that I am the bread of life. Was there a time when he was never the bread of life? And the answer to that is no. So in that same region, in Bethlehem, something spectacular happened. Now this is a very important designation. Why? Because uh, prophecy mentions that uh, it was an important place for the Messiah. Uh, turn with me to Micah chapter 5. Verse 2, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. The prophet says here, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming Fourth is from of old, from ancient of days. Uh, also recall, remember what they call the Son of Man in the book of Daniel? Do you recall that? Uh, they call the Son of Man in the book of Daniel, they called him the Ancient of Days. Uh, you see what the prophecy is saying here. Speaking of this Christ, this Messiah that was to come, whose coming forth was from of old, from ancient of days, uh, how uh, can a baby be old and new at the same time? But our point, though, is that it came from, he came from Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And what in the world is Ephrathah? Ephrathah was an earlier name also used to describe Bethlehem, which uh, some believe that uh, it is a uh, comes. It is a derivative of one of the tribes of Israel called Ephraim, and this is how uh, this Bethlehem also came to be known as the city of David. And please bear with me for a moment. Uh, first, uh, first Chronicles, chapter eleven, beginning in verse four. First Chronicles, chapter eleven, verse four. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, that is, Jabus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. Verse 5, the inhabitants of Jabus said to David, you will not come in here, 
nevertheless, uh, David bogarted, right? Uh, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. David said, whoever strikes the Jebusites first shall be chief and commander. Uh, and uh, Joab, the son of Zeruiah, uh, went up first, so he became chief. Verse 7. And David lived in the stronghold, therefore it was called, what? The city of David. Because that was the place that David called his own. So now, uh, back in Luke chapter 2 verse 8, it tells us not only uh, from the region in Bethlehem, Judah, but it tells us that in that place that there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flocks at night. So at night time, uh, the shepherds were out there watching over their sheep. Well, why would shepherds need to watch their sheep at night anyway? Oftentimes, because if you recall, uh, Jesus, when he says that I am the door, he was speaking of the fact that uh, uh, shepherds would lay in front of the only entrance into the sheep pen. Uh, there was, at one time, there was really no real gate, per se, so the shepherd would lay there, and he would make sure that no thief, no robber, uh, no wild animal would come in to come across him. You see, in order to get to the sheep, Jesus said, first, you have to get to me first. And Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. So it was due to those wolves who would savagely enter the sheepfold and viciously uh, whisk away all those sheep. But yet, when we think about shepherds, we must not totally romanticize the idea. Right? Uh, during this time of year, oftentimes when we think of the shepherds, uh, that one of the things that we consider, one of the things that, 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 that's always on our minds, we think about all the scenes all over the nation, all over our city. Uh, sometimes they have live presentations of uh, the time of the birth of Christ. You recall that. And sometimes we see the sheep and how clean the, sheep, the, the, uh, the shepherds would look and how meek and mild the shepherds were. Right? Uh, those shepherds appear to be so soft-spoken. Right? Unless it was time for them to, to feed the sheep or to fend them from the wild animals. But understand this, that during the time of Jesus, right? During the time of Jesus, shepherds were thought of as being dishonest. And according to the dictates of the law, they were also considered uh, to be unclean. So shepherds were uh, someone that people, uh, if you were of the Jewish sort who was clean and walked according to the law, a shepherd was someone that you didn't want to be around. Kind of remind me of uh, sometimes how we view sailors. But not only uh, were they dishonest, not only were they thought of as being ceremonially unclean, but they were often accused of robbery. That if you 
uh, were afraid that someone would break into your house or into your land, uh, that one of the people that you could probably accuse and might get away with it was uh, the shepherd. Were the shepherds? They were burglars. And then they would allow their sheep just to graze on anyone's land without permission. So here they were doing anything they wanted to do, when they wanted to do it, stealing and anything else that came to mind. That was the idea of the shepherd. But, but, you say, uh, that doesn't quite line up in my, uh, in my mind because Jesus uh, presents this positive view of shepherds. Well, uh, what does David say? We think about shepherds during the time of David. Well, what about Psalm 23 and 1? Psalm 23 and 1. Uh, what does it say there? Uh, the psalmist says, what? We know this very well. Uh, the Lord, what? Is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack anything. Uh, hear that. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack anything. And again, Jesus calls himself, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not one of those bad shepherds. A good shepherd in, in comparison to what, Jesus? He says, I am the good shepherd in comparison to how you think of these other shepherds. Jesus says. Jesus wants us to intentionally look back on that prior time when a shepherd cared for his flock uh, but didn't harm others. In fact, for a period of time, uh, being a shepherd was a family business that you would pass it down from one to the other. Uh, this is why uh, King David was able to write what he wrote in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, because David himself was also a shepherd. See, his father Jesse, they also had many livestock. Uh, so they had to deal with animals all the time. So it was a very honorable thing at the time. So looking at these shepherds, we must look at them in terms of their calling and how God has called them for a specific message. So in verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, so the shepherds were out there you know, taking care of their own business and all of a sudden an angel shows up. What would you do if an angel shows up in the midst of your work day? What would you do if you were riding the, uh, the, the, the train and an angel showed up? What would you do if you were in your office and an angel showed up? Or in the grocery store? Or if you were doing homework in your room and an angel showed up? says here, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with what? Great fear. They were afraid. There's a pattern in Scripture when God often uses the least likely individuals to affect His major divine plan in life and His agenda. As an example, recall from the last message, Zechariah and Elizabeth how Zechariah was a priest before the Lord, and how God used him and his wife and the barrenness of Elizabeth's womb to bring about a proclaimer who was to announce the one who was to come after him. They were least likely. Because 
both Zechariah and Elizabeth, they figured that they had reached the final season of their life, thinking that they were done. No one could use them. There's nothing else left for me, they would say to themselves. But God used uh, the least likely individual, Elizabeth, and the barrenness of her womb to effect change in the world. And then the Lord would use Mary, who never had relations with a man, uh, to be the incubator for the God-man we call Jesus Christ. She was something of a divine surrogate of sorts. Now the Lord, in this case in our passage, he sends an angel to announce the birth of Jesus Christ to the shepherds. Those same shepherds who were despised and unclean according to ceremonial law. Uh, even though John the Baptist, his birth had miraculous activities announcing what was going to happen. Uh, his birth was not announced. It was Jesus Christ, his birth, Emmanuel, his birth was announced. So the glory of the Lord, it shined, it shone around them. I'm not sure if I would use the word shone a lot. I would probably say shine, right? Uh, for the right or the wrong of the language. Uh, but the glory of the Lord, uh, that it was shining around the shepherds. When that glory shone around them, they were filled with fear. No, not just fear. Uh, they were filled with mega fear. Right? The Greek word. Mega, uh, megas, mega uh, fear. They were filled with great fear. You see, the supernatural can elicit fear. If you dib and dab and Ouija boards and things like that, uh, something that you have no business fooling around with, it can cause you to be afraid. You know what, if you're doing any of that stuff, you need to leave it alone in the name of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? If you're dipping, diving, and Ouija boards, and all this other scary stuff, leave it alone in the name of Jesus Christ, because it is not, it will not build up your spirit. In fact, you may end up inviting something into your life you have no business dealing with. I'm not sure why I said that, but I said it. But I'll say it again, you have no business dealing with it. Leave it alone, because you may open up a door that will do nothing but allow the demonic to come in to take a part of your life. So, uh, this fear, it was eliciting uh, this ability not to do what God calls you to do. What, in other words, what happens when you are afraid? What happens when you get afraid? Have you ever, have you ever tensed up before in your life? When something has startled you and your muscles just seize together before. Here, they were afraid. And the angel was telling them, look, don't be afraid. Because if you are afraid, then you cannot accomplish what needs to be accomplished. So we must not lose focus on what God is calling us to do. You see, if we get sidetracked by all types of things, and then our minds are, uh, end up messed up. Uh, and then think of the person, think of the individual who, uh, when they see an angel, 
But they decide they want to fall down to worship the angel. Remember the time uh, they sing the song, Angels Fall Before Me, right? Uh, Heaven and uh, Earth Adore Me, right? Uh, There used to be songs they were singing about angels. In fact, for a period of time, I I saw people even with bumper stickers uh, about angels. As a matter of fact, uh, I know some individuals today who had conversations with me uh, saying uh, that in essence, uh, that an angel showed them this and an angel showed them that. Uh, therefore, they had a proclivity uh, to be more accepting of, of, of angels and, and their need to be worshipped. See, what happens when you dib and you dab within the supernatural, then your mind becomes confused. But God says what? What does God's word say? He says that God is not the author of what? Let's try it again. God is not the author of confusion. Let's try it one more time because maybe you didn't hear me or maybe he didn't think I wanted you to repeat that after me. But God is not the author of confusion. So if you are confused, know that is not the fingerprint of God. It was easy to think that I can stop, be afraid of angels, and worship them. But as I've always said, that if the object of your worship is wrong, then your worship is wrong. If the object of your worship is wrong, then your worship is wrong. How can we worship rightly when the thing you worship is not worthy of being worshipped in the first place? Makes no sense in the world. Are you going to worship some inanimate object or person that has no life in them? They may have had some good and some very commonsensical sayings, uh, but why do you worship them? Why would you worship a creature with multiple arms that you have uh, created within your own imagination? Why? If the object of your worship is wrong, then what is wrong? Your Worship is wrong. And we're not to pray to Mary. We're not to pray to Peter, Paul, or Mary, right? Or John, or anyone else. God never tells us to pray to them. We are always to pray to God in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? These angels, not looking to be worshipped, they had a message for the shepherds. Uh, now, our first point was, it was an extraordinarily, uh, extraordinary night for the Savior and the good news. Here's the next one. The proclamation about the Savior and the good news. Verse 10, Luke chapter 2. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of, of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. So the first issue that we had to deal with was the fear of the shepherds. right? The the angels showing up and the shepherds being afraid because of this supernatural event that happened. And again, what? Why did the angel tell them again to fear not? Don't be afraid. Because that fear can seize upon us. And it can cause us uh, to become inactive and, and not useful. As a matter of fact, 
I'm not sure if you guys remember. You guys remember a, a syndrome called the fainting goat syndrome? Have you ever seen goats when they get startled and afraid, they tense up and they fall down flat? Have you ever seen that before? Uh, that is something real. That is not fake. That is something real. I used to think when I saw them that they would just die. I, I thought that they would just have a heart attack. But that is called being myoton myotonic is what it's called. Myotonic. That is uh, when something uh, so drastic happens uh, or startles them uh, to the point that their muscles seize up and they can't even keep their balance and they fall down flat. But it doesn't help them. You know, it is not a defensive strategy because if you fall, if a wolf shows up, right, if a wild animal shows up and you seize and, and fall down, uh, how can you get away? See? And whether you know it or not, that the syndrome also happens to people. Well, they may not, uh, we may not fall down flat. We not, may not uh, be afraid to that degree, but what can happen to some people is that their muscles tense up so much uh, that when it's over with, all of a sudden their muscles are sore. It's also called myotonic as well. So it is therefore, it was re really important that the shepherds, uh, as they engage in that miraculous event, that they not be afraid because they had a ministry to accomplish. Because if you're seized up and you can't do anything, how can you go tell others about Jesus Christ? But in God's formula, it was important to have two or three witnesses. Uh, whatever there's two or three gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, Jesus says. Uh, but uh, he also says that uh, anything is, is not established unless it's by two or three witnesses. And in this case, it was the shepherds, the wise men, and the angels. The shepherd, wise men, and the angels. Uh, you, you see, in, in my mind, I was wondering, well, Jesus, if he showed up, why not allow the entire world to show the, the light, uh, the glory of heaven shone around the entire world? See, Jesus... God, in his ultimate wisdom, he knew that everyone would not be on the same page. He says, all I need is two or three witnesses. And the shepherd, the wise men, and the angels are good enough. So this good news is for everyone. The message was good news and great joy, it says, for all people. And I, and I love the way the message phrases this. Uh, the message phrases it this way. He says, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everyone worldwide, end quote. There was a message attached to the birth of Christ. It was meant for everyone. And the shepherds being one of the first to receive it, indicating its worldwide prominence. Now, on the other hand, you're saying that, you know, uh, this gospel... It's supposed to have been for a worldwide message. But what about Romans chapter 1, verse 16? Well, what about it? Look at it. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says here, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation 
to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So Paul says here that the message of the gospel was for the Jew first. Well, absolutely right, I say. He's absolutely right. This is correct. That message was for the Jews. But remember that the Jews have always had the responsibility of spreading the gospel worldwide. When the Jews, when the Hebrews, when they left Egypt, that one of their responsibilities on their way to the promised land was to be faithful to God. Amen? That on their way to the promised land, they're supposed to tell everyone about the gospel of Yahweh, the good news of Yahweh. But along the way, they lost their way. A journey that should have taken, you know, several weeks at most, end up taking 40 years. A journey they end, uh, that should have taken uh, just a few weeks to cross because they got lost along the way. They were supposed to spread the good news. But something happened. What happened to you? What has happened to us? Have we gotten lost along the way? Have we forgotten what that gospel is supposed to do and who it's for? You see, the intent of the message of the gospel was never intended for one group of people. And I think even today some Jews still get it, uh, they're getting it mixed up because they're thinking it's only for us that we need to continue to close ranks and close in and keep to ourselves. But you see the gospel which is supposed to usher in this idea of the Messiah is for everyone. But what is the good news? What is the good news? First we think of the good news in terms of evangelism. We want to go and share the good news that Jesus Christ died to save sinners and our repentance and acceptance of his work puts us right before God and immediately, uh, uh, immediately we're right before God and then later we get heaven at the same time. So this good news, this gospel, this euangelizo, this is something that was intended uh, for, for everyone. But in ancient times, the idea of the euangelion, of the gospel, it was just any old good news. It could have been good news about a king coming to town. In fact, it could have been the euangelion uh, about uh, having a good harvest. Or the good news that now your son or your daughter has grown four inches since last year. Euangelion, this is good news. But here, within our context, uh, the good news, the euangelion, uh, that it is centered, it is focused on the person of Jesus Christ. It's meant for the entire human race. So by denying the gospel, we deny the Lord. And when we deny the Lord, we deny ourselves. Let's look at what happened when Isaiah was in the presence of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Because even if you have not heard the gospel, know that you are without excuse. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the, uh, filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. 
Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! For I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah said uh, there, he said uh, in verse 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. Now, Isaiah was not lost in terms of not knowing where he was geographically. He was lost in terms of him not being able to escape the impending wrath of God uh, due to his presumptions of standing before God who is alone holy. He says, I'm standing here before God and I know that it's over if something doesn't happen for me. Other translations read it like this, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Or too bad for me, I am destroyed. But I would like to translate it this way. That's it for me, because I'm all done. All right. You see, when you stand before God, you're not going to stand up there and think, I'm going I'm to give God a piece of my mind. You see, that's only fake news. You want to know what fake news is? That's fake news. You know, you're going to tell God, well, God, there's all types of truth in the world. And God said, liar, liar, a whole body on fire. God is not going to play that. Uh, there's only and can only ever be in any given situation only one truth. There is a truth and there is an untruth. And Isaiah knew that by me standing before God, uh, that woe is me, what will you say when you stand before God? You know what I'm going to say? I would say, woe is me if it hadn't been for Jesus Christ. If it hadn't been for Jesus, then woe for me. But now, God, I just want to praise you and I want to thank you. And I want to say hallelujah that I can stand before you without worrying about the impending wrath of God coming down to beat me down. Thank you, Lord. You're worthy. And you know, that's it for all of us. And we are all totally finished unless God does something to rectify the situation. Bottom line, because we can't fix it. You can't fix it. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care where you live or what you think about yourself or who your parents were or who their parents were, that it doesn't make a difference that you are done unless Jesus Christ becomes your advocate. Faith alone. In Christ alone. So as the Lord did it for Isaiah... He can do it for you. For Isaiah, uh, the angel came and he grabbed some burning coals and he put it on the lips of Isaiah. Because Isaiah, he knew that he was a sinner 
He knew he needed to be cleansed. But one thing about putting hot coals on our lips is that it only lasts for a while. But Jesus, when he comes to dwell within us, he comes to dwell in us forever. So there will be no angel to touch your lips, as with Isaiah. Because the lips that have been touched will surely sin again. So the good news, it comes in the person of Jesus Christ. The good news for Isaiah was not immediately given when he appeared before the Lord. He just knew it was over it. But for us, we knew that we know that if we appear before God, that we are cleansed in Jesus Christ and because of his blood. That is, if we accept him before it is too late, and that we want to serve him all the days of our lives as well. That if you really love life, that you must love the Lord. So how do we do it? Jesus Christ. Jesus is that Savior. Jesus is the miracle we need to get right before God himself. Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, Jesus is God as a man. Uh, that Jesus is God, our Savior. How do we know this is even true? Well, what are the signs? Look at verse 12. Back in Luke chapter 2, verse 12 says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. Well, that's how we know. Something that happened a, a, a while ago. And we know again, uh, you know, why wasn't the message so widely given out? Because God knows the heart of men. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Matthew 2, 16. Come and didn't come on camelback and relayed from one town after the next town, from one nation to the next nation, in every town all over the globe. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. See, that would have been the fate. You see, there were plans in place to eradicate any perceived opposition to the leadership at that time. And we heard this repeatedly uh, because of the, uh, uh, through the, uh, the voices and the presence of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. They wanted to get rid of Jesus Christ. God had a plan and he would not allow himself to fall into the hands of those before he himself desired it. So what then should be our response to the Savior and the good news? Worship. Worship because of the Savior and the good news. Luke 2, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We should glorify the Lord in worship as we expect peace for those who receive that good news. Worship is always one of those areas that often get kicked back. What is worship? Is it expressive? Is it quiet? Is it in the mind? Uh, is it boisterous? Uh, vociferous? What is worship? How do we worship? Uh, looking at the angels, do you think the angels held with, uh, withheld their external expression of worship? 
Do you think the angels were quiet when they worshipped? Do you think uh, the angels said, well, God, I'm just going to stand here and worship you like this? No, uh, they were singing out loud, uh, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. They were saying, glory to God in the highest. Uh, can you worship that way? Glory to God in the highest. But our background sometimes get in the way of our worship. <laughs> Where we went to church, traditions. In fact, if you have a European background, that oftentimes your worship may be very muted, very quiet, very still. And then you look at others and say they're not really worshiping because they're doing all this stuff. It don't take all that to worship God. Right? And others who are worshiping, oh, hallelujah, I thank you. And you're being expressive and you're doing other. You look at others who are being very still. You're saying they're not worshiping God. But the question is, how do we respond in worship to the good news, to the Savior? Because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has been born. Worship like there is good news for you. Worship like there's good news for your family, and worship like there's good news for your friends. So here it is. It was an extraordinary night because of the Savior and the good news. There was the proclamation about the Savior and the good news, and we should worship because of the Savior.